ACCJ. From the spring 2022 issue of the ACCJ Journal, this is In Defense of Strong Relations. ACCJ President Om Prakash shares his thoughts on 2022 and the Chamber. By C. Brian Jones. Read by the author. Those movies in which a fighter pilot steps into the role of president and leads everyone through challenging times are always inspirational. I've watched that story more than once, and as 2022 began, I got to interview someone doing just that. Only not for Hollywood. American Chamber of Commerce in Japan, or ACCJ President Om Prakash, also chief executive of Northrop Grumman Japan, is a U.S. Air Force veteran who was a fighter pilot, test pilot, and vice wing commander of the 82nd Training Wing. His time in the service, as well as at the Pentagon, has given him important perspectives on the U.S.-Japan relationship, experience ideal for guiding the chamber through the third year of the pandemic and bilateral challenges. In a year filled with opportunities in a transformed world, the ACCJ Journal sat down with Prakash at the Northrop Grumman office to learn more about his background and thoughts on the path ahead. What brought you to Japan? I have lots of reasons to want to be here, but ultimately, I am here for my job. My company asked me to come here, but part of it is that I have a background that put me in a unique position to be particularly effective for the company. I studied engineering at MIT and then served in the U.S. Air Force for about 26 years. Early in my career, I was stationed in Aomori Prefecture at Misawa Air Base. I was an intelligence officer back then, and that is the first time I lived in Japan for an extended period. I spent most of my career as a pilot and test pilot in many of the United States' worldwide operations over the past few decades. I gained a lot of experience working with Japan as an ally, including some time in the Pentagon, where I worked on industrial policy issues and with Congress. Previous to coming here, at Northrop Grumman, I focused on corporate and technology strategy. So, combat experience, a background in technology, and lots of policy experience with the government made me a very good match for taking over our operations in Japan, where our primary customer is the Japanese Self-Defense Force. How did you get involved with the ACCJ? Our company has been part of the ACCJ for several decades. We were one of the early members, so I was a member as our chief executive. Northrop Grumman is a defense company, so the Aerospace and Defense Committee was the one I had the most interaction with, most recently as chair. To me, the primary things the ACCJ does for its community are networking, getting to know other folks in the community, and interaction with government to work on advocacy and clear opportunities for business in Japan. Those were the two main drivers that gave me passion for being involved with the ACCJ. Has ACCJ membership helped push policy goals? Yes, absolutely. There are some areas where, across sectors, we all agree. One of the most obvious, in the current situation, is that we all have been affected by the travel restrictions. That common voice from the ACCJ has been important in showing the pain brought to all types of businesses and in bringing about change. 
Specific to aerospace and defense, with the other U.S. companies, there are several times that we have had common ground to work on advocacy issues together. We've also had opportunities to talk with leadership from the Ministry of Defense and gain insight into their priorities for defending Japan. This year will be particularly interesting for aerospace and defense, because Japan is in the midst of rewriting its national security strategy. It's going to be a really important year. Has the chamber helped you? On a professional level, I've known most of the folks in the aerospace and defense community already, but the ACCJ certainly broadened my network to other sectors. On a personal level, I love learning. I am curious about everything. So, getting to know more about the industries that are involved in Japan writ large has been both interesting and helpful. I've gained insights into the pain points faced by other industries. The pandemic has brought lots of opportunities for U.S. businesses to share lessons learned and look for common support. And then, quite frankly, I've enjoyed making friends in the ACCJ, as well as participating in community events. In my first year here, I was able to go to the charity ball in person. It's been virtual for the past two years. That was rewarding and fun at the same time. Do other experiences stand out? Well, the election has been pretty involving for me. It actually wasn't something I was seeking. The nominations committee came and asked me to run, but it is my nature to always raise my hand and volunteer. And in this case, I was especially happy to do so. Frankly, this is an exciting year we have in front of us, so I am thrilled at the opportunity. Going through that process gave me access to an even wider group of people, and learning more about how the chamber works to serve its members has been rewarding and fascinating. I'm sure it will be topped by the actual experience itself in the year ahead. Why did you choose to take on the role of president? In many ways, it's a variation on the question of why I came to Japan in the first place. When I look across the globe at where there is potential for conflict and where there are real issues between nations, it's right here in this part of the world. Who would have expected a land war in Europe? Think of what that means for us here, where tensions and stakes are in many ways much higher. I'm the type of person who likes to run towards a burning building, not away from it, to see what I can do. I feel very strongly that, if you look at the alliances across the world, the US-Japan alliance is the most important in all facets, military, economic, cultural, so being a part of that for my company was something I was excited about doing. It felt like a continuation of my Air Force career. The ACCJ is a whole other level of that. This year, in Japan, we have the administration of Prime Minister Fumio Kishida making major policy changes. There's a new Minister for Economic Security. They're rewriting the National Security Strategy, the National Defense Program Guideline, which is going to govern how they spend the largest discretionary portion of their budget. In the United States, we are still going through a full transition to our new administration, and we now have an ambassador in Japan, Rahm Emanuel. That's going to make it a particularly dynamic and important year. There are lots of opportunities for the ACCJ to make a positive impact on the U.S.-Japan relationship, do good things for business, and, more importantly, do good things for both our nations. 
What is the focus for 2022 bilateral ties? All nations have suffered impacts to their economies as a result of the pandemic, and there are probably inclinations to look inward. But these are the times when we need to rely on friends more than ever. And the United States and Japan have a special relationship. There have been periods in our history when we've viewed each other with less than cooperative eyes, and other times when things have been more open. I believe right now, in particular, we have to make sure we keep pushing for what's good for both economies. It's not just a one sided thing for the United States. I think we can thrive together. It's not a zero sum scenario. We can grow opportunities for all, and when we look at some of the nation states that are potential adversaries, we can only succeed by cooperating and combining our strengths. What are the ACCJ's key initiatives and advocacy points? Last year, we spent a lot of time focused on digital transformation, and there is still work to be done. I think that will be critical for tying the US and Japanese economies together. There is lots of work on regulatory frameworks and common operating standards, and a level playing field that we need to have in place so that our businesses can thrive. We can work together. That will be an ongoing topic for some time. Something that I think will be new in 2022 is having our voice heard as Japan works on its national security strategy and economic security. That will have economic implications for several sectors, and we need to look clearly at how the ACCJ can get involved in making a case for things that will help both our economies and national security postures. How is diversity and inclusion in Japan? Can the ACCJ help? In Japan, there is, of course, improvement to be made. That's not just my opinion. There are many surveys and analyses of Japan's economy and its record with inclusion, specifically related to women in the workforce. With an aging population, that's an untapped potential resource. Coming from the United States also influences how I feel about the topic. When you get a diverse set of folks together, you get a better product, no matter what it is you're working on. The ACCJ should continue its advocacy in this area, and we have many examples of where inclusion has brought great outcomes. How can the ACCJ best support members in 2022? It's hard to predict what the year will bring. I look at the term Jennifer Rogers served as ACCJ president last year and the challenges she faced. We didn't expect that the pandemic would continue as it has for another entire year. Right now, we're on the Omicron variant, and there are still nine letters left in the Greek alphabet. I hope we have a better future in front of us. I'd really like to see 2022 be the year that we return to networking and meeting each other at in person events. I think we crave that human connection on many levels, not just for the business impact, but socially for our well being and effectiveness. I hope we're going to see that in 2022. But if not, we've learned a lot over the past two years and will continue to improve our effectiveness as a chamber. What have we learned from the ACCJ's digital transformation? We have definitely learned how to run meetings more effectively using all the telework software that's available, 
and we can carry that over to our businesses. My personal experience is that ACCJ meetings have run very smoothly. As we have more potential to host hybrid events, we need to be mindful that these come with their own consequences, for example, in terms of staff needed to run them. So we're going to have to look at when it makes sense for an event to be hybrid versus being only virtual. We've also learned that there are lots of things we felt we could only do in person, but having no choice, now do virtually. And now that we have a choice, let's not forget the good things we've learned from hybrid and virtual scenarios, especially in terms of how much more inclusive we can be. Obviously, we don't want the entire structure to be online only all the time, but there are times when it makes absolute sense. If we were hundreds of years in the future, there are a lot of things that maybe would be a given for how we do business. We had to get there a lot sooner, because we had no choice, which isn't a bad thing. So, we'll continue to evolve. In what ways might changes to the ACCJ Constitution benefit members? I know that Jennifer and the team last year focused a lot, as an advocacy issue, on governance reform in Japan. They reinforced that inside the ACCJ with reform of the chamber's governance. I think that was the perfect example to set. Additionally, making the chamber efficient and able to represent and serve its membership is critical. I applaud the team last year for taking on a topic that is challenging, because we all have strong feelings. That's one of the great things about the ACCJ. We are a volunteer group for the most part, so we're putting in our time for things we feel passionate about. I look at those as great developments last year. What might be the long-term effects of Japan's border restrictions? Sometimes, when we consider this question, we may be too narrow in our thinking. There's a political dynamic across the globe. Governments are responsive to their constituencies. If we look at it simply as a business issue or a science issue, we're sometimes going to miss and talk past each other when we're trying to be effective. I feel the key when we talk about advocacy regarding entry restrictions is to focus on the business impacts. They are real and some of them will be long-term, especially when you consider things on a global scale and juxtapose the decisions made here with those of other nations looking to revitalize their economies. I think framing our advocacy in those terms will be more helpful. Ultimately, however we come out of this, there will be a certain degree of feeling that we learned something as a species that we're not going to unlearn, Maybe our tolerance to risk and how we approach decision-making have been forever changed. From what I understand of the 1918 flu pandemic, ultimately, you could say that it ended socially well before it came to a scientific end. It was more a change in our thought pattern for what risk we were willing to accept and how we were willing to operate. I won't be surprised if we see something similar with COVID-19. Anything else you would like to say to members? It may be recycling something I said earlier, but everyone I've met in the chamber, especially those serving in positions of responsibility on the board of governors and as committee leaders, are so passionate about what they do. And that's a great group of people to work with. We'll have our differences, but we're professionals and we'll work through things. 
having those spirited debates where we learn from one another and so attain better outcomes, those are exciting things to be a part of. As I said, I didn't seek this position, but I'm super excited about leading the chamber, especially given the events going on around us as a community in the United States and Japan and around the globe. <laughs>